They had known each other for at least three years, these two, the writer, Charles Dodgson, and his secretary, Alice Liddell. Charles was a tall man with dark, placid eyes and wide, imposing shoulders that were cinched into sleek, imported dress shirts. He shook hands with a pulsing, aggressive grab, which felt as though he had burrowed through your ribcage, scooped out your heart, and dropped it to the floor. Alice had short, immobile blonde curls that sat on her thin shoulders. Lone strands would stick straight out of her head in warm, dry weather. She liked brown skirts and beige slacks. She was routinely attracted to the safety of ugliness. Come, Charles said. So Alice drove three hours to get there, the gray city rushing by on either side, all the windows open. She was heaving, eager. When she pulled up, Charles was waiting for her in the driveway. The house was small, nestled near the woods, a modern addition built onto an old schoolhouse. They had to walk up a flight of wooden stairs to get to it. Charles hadn't lived there for a while, and the electricity was turned off. It had just two rooms, and a kitchen and a bathroom. They stumbled through the blackened living room to get to the bedroom. Alice was cold and they lay down for a long time. She bled and worried she had stained something. The sheets and blankets smelled of unwashed hair. After, he hovered over her and fingered her ear with his thumb and pointer. He began his story about the ghost in the trees. Alice watched him, his mouth. She felt like a tiny flint under the weight of him, sparked, living. Her name is Marianne, he said. She lives on the other side of the hill. Somewhere in the house, Charles called for Alice. Alice called for Charles, and Charles called out for Alice again, and together their voices echoed through the house by the woods. Let's take a bath, Charles said. So Alice got naked and settled in the tub like it was a coffin, her arms at her sides. Charles turned on the water. The two were silent, watching everything rise around them. The bathroom was steeped in the auburn light of dusk, 
It was difficult for Alice to see Charles when he slithered in behind her. He stroked her back, and they pressed up against each other, shivering a little. In the dark, Charles watched Alice's hands, the shapes they made under the water. Alice thought of the girl, the boy, the ravine. She wanted him to tell her more about Marianne. As he spoke, she closed her eyes. Charles watched the cold northern light undulate and glow around her like a sea creature. The living room was darker than the rest of the house. Everything had become about touch. Their time together was merely a series of tactile experiences. Alice sprawled out on the carpet in front of Charles, who was perched on the sofa. The phone rang. Charles listened before saying hello. There was no one on the other end, so he put the receiver down. He said, that's been happening a lot lately. Alice asked, who knows we're here? Phone calls from the dead. I've never seen a dead person use the phone before, Alice said, as she arched her back and crawled on her hands and knees and curled around Charles's feet like a cat. She twisted her head over her shoulder to look into his eyes, which were red, irritated, as he strained to read the last lines of the notes she'd taken the night before. Alice rested her head against his meaty, spread-wide toes and whispered, Maybe it was your wife? Charles laughed, as if to change the subject. I have this fantasy, Alice said when they were both slightly drunk. Meet me in the kitchen in ten minutes? Charles nodded, and somehow this made her proud. Here was this man she had captured. The kitchen was small, unpainted, and the cupboards were filled with beige filing folders and stacks of notepads rather than canned goods. Charles was a writer who used every room in the house as his study. There was a knock at the back door. Alice answered and greeted Charles with a glass of wine. He said he would do what she asked him to. That was the agreement. It was an early evening in November. The sun slanted through the windows as their hands reached over and explored each other's bodies in the last remaining hours of daylight. There had been an awkwardness and more drinking of wine as they caressed their scars, their patches of dry skin. Afterwards, Alice looked at him over the rim of her coffee cup. He had a face that looked like it belonged on Easter Island, with features that were long and chiseled and a nose that was flat and out of proportion. Alice felt fear rise in her heart. It fanned out across her breasts and melted down her rolls in streaks of heat. 
Charles leaned forward. His hands emerged from the sleeves of his bathrobe. His fingers were long with nails that were finely manicured. He began. Her greasy blonde hair is knotted like a noose. As Charles narrated, Alice took dictation. She worried whenever he spoke too fast or bastardized a turn of phrase that the words would eventually get away from her, that they would orphan her and leave her to die alone in a derelict papery tenement. When he had finished, Charles went to sleep. So Alice went to sleep. She dreamed she found a book at the bottom of a ravine. Its jacket was torn, its spine ripped apart and scattered in the weeds. When she lifted it off the ground, she saw that someone had gouged out the eyes and removed the appendix. She wrenched herself awake and curled into Charles animal-like. When she woke in the morning, he wasn't in the bed. Some kind of omen. Alice sobbed when she saw her apparition in the bathroom mirror. The meat of her face was beginning to sag. Her neck had a crepe paper cast. She was 28 and it was ridiculous to be noticing such things. Stretch marks, wrinkles, mammogram. These were the words that gurgled up to her from the toilet. She stood alone with the furniture. She listened while Charles made love to someone else in the next room. When it rained, water trickled in through the ceiling in the bedroom, created a pool about four inches deep and reached halfway down the hall. Water cascaded downward from floor to floor from pile to pile. The wood of every chair and table became waterlogged while stacks of typewritten notes bloated and leaked ink all over the carpets. Things were swept away by the tides and later resurfaced if they could swim when they floated to the top. Shoes, socks, marmalade jars, mice, and cockroaches. And still she haunted him, phantom-wise. Charles pushed himself upward, his hands sinking into the orange peels and cherry stems that littered the floor. Their consistency felt like ants scourging across a picnic blanket. He was unhappy, but he had been for so long already that this newest revelation barely registered. In a booming voice, he told Alice he had nearly finished the story, but he didn't know if that was true. There was so much between them, much of it dangerous, all of it theirs. When morning arrived, Charles saw the shadow of the woman Alice would become passing across her face. He wiped the tears from her eyes and said, the woods have lost their charm for you. He kissed her. 
his lips soft as they left behind a warm and moist tattoo that circled her left nipple. Their last day was clocked by the chattering edges of unsteady proclamations about how the exit would happen, what they would do when they returned to the city, and how their meetings would be awkward for a while and possibly never recover. When Charles drove out the driveway, Alice felt herself shutting up like a telescope. She moved away from the window and walked through the house one last time. Charles had left her a thank you note and even put the wine bottles in the recycling bin. When she arrived home, Alice admired the mark branded on her left breast. His lip print was slightly open and dark against her pale skin. She hoped it would never disappear. She hoped she would see it every time she stood naked before a full-length mirror. She hoped he would write about her one day. Charles Dodgson was a writer who wrote about sex and death and little girls. Alice Little was his secretary, about whom nothing was known. Nothing is known about her still. She took dictation. She was not very interesting. Her moment with Charles was short, paper thin. years, people will actually listen to audio drama trailers all the way through. Hey there, Jeeves, my trusty nano printer sidekick. Hello, see that my well-meaning but dim-witted owner. You know, after the last century of civil wars, animal uprisings, and general unintended consequences, we find ourselves at a time where everything is free and everyone is happy. Yes, see that all thanks to the power of cognitive dissonance. But I was thinking, what if there was an audio drama podcast about bringing all those things back? It could be called... The bright Scottish girl in Hell 359 is alive, on patrol, FIS, Theater Gospel Hour. 
It could feature incredible music from all over the old web, just like the music playing right now. I would totally listen to that. Or it could be called How to Listen to Music in the 22nd Century and be found at howtolisten22nd.com or on any podcatchers. Yeah, that would work too.